If all the PowerPoint's coming up, we're going to be turning in our Bibles to Luke and chapter 1. And this week, continuing our series of women concerning women of the Bible, we're going to be looking at Elizabeth. So Luke chapter 1, we'll read various portions of this chapter, starting at verse 5. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abiah. His wife was the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Sorry, was of the daughters of Aaron. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring to you these glad tidings. But behold, you'll be mute And you will not be able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he he could not speak to them, and they, they perceived that he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived... And she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach from among the people. Verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days, went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who who believed, for there will be fulfillment of these things which were told her from the Lord. Verse 57. Now Elizabeth's full time came. For her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And when her neighbours and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he should be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father 
what he would have him called. And he wrote, he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying, his name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he spoke praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt among them and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts saying, what kind of child is this to be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. This story of Elizabeth only appears in Luke's gospel. And of course it's the backdrop to the coming of the Messiah. And in it, Luke talks about, tells us about the birth of John the Baptist, who of course was one of the key witnesses of Jesus as Messiah. We also find out in verse 36 that John the Baptist and Jesus were related in some way, as Elizabeth was identified as a relative or cousin of Mary. But what do we know about Elizabeth? Well, firstly, her name means, God is my oath. Or God is my abundance. Either way, there is a sense of trusting God for provision and for fulfillment of his promises. It's ironic, therefore, that Elizabeth is childless. It would appear that God has not fulfilled his promise to the righteous to make them fruitful. And this is even more surprising in the light of what we are also told about Elizabeth. Firstly, we are told that she, like her husband, was a descendant of Aaron and from a priestly line. Next, we're told that both of them were righteous in the sight of the Lord, observing all the commands, Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. What, how, can that, how many people can that be said of? They um, obeyed the commands of the Lord blamelessly. They were priestly line and they were righteous in the sight of God. You would have expected that these, of all people, should have merited the covenantal favour of the Lord for Israel. Because we're told in Deuteronomy 27, 2-6, this, all these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. The crops of your land and the young of your livestock. The calves of your herds, the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Of all people, they should have been Models of the blessing of God, for they were righteous and obedient. And the covenant said, if you were righteous and obedient, God would bless you, especially the fruit of your womb. And yet they were childless. I'm sure they struggled over the years. Why us? Why me? Why hasn't God fulfilled his plan? Why me? Why aren't we able to have this child that, that would fulfill and demonstrate the blessing of God? despite their obedience and despite the shame and humiliation that would have come upon Elizabeth, specifically for her barrenness, they had not been given the gift of children. It was the dream of every woman in Israel to be the mother of the Messiah, in fulfillment of the promise to Eve that that her seed would crush the head of Satan. But no such dream was now possible to be fulfilled in the life of Elizabeth since she was now past the age of childbearing. Sometimes we don't know why things don't work out as we would like. We don't know why God seems to ignore the needs of the righteous, and that yet the unrighteous seem to prosper with impunity. We don't know why bad things happen to good people, 
And trite answers are not always a good answer. However, we can learn from the story of Elizabeth that sometimes God has a greater purpose than we can see in what he's doing. In this case, his purpose was to bring forth from this godly couple a man who would be the forerunner of the Messiah. And John came in the spirit and power of Elijah. So who else could God entrust this man to, this forerunner of the Messiah, this who Jesus said was the greatest of all prophets, who else could he entrust them to but to this godly couple? He was to be a man who never tasted alcohol and who would be filled from birth with the Spirit. And so he was prepared for his ministry from childbirth. And it would, would require a couple such as Zechariah and Elizabeth to assure this, to bring them up in the way of the Lord and to prepare him for that ministry that was so important in being the, the, the um, harbinger of the Messiah, the one who would bring in the Messiah. Also, if they had had John when they were young, it would have been too soon for him to be the forerunner of the Messiah. God had a perfect plan that enabled John to be born just at the right time to fulfill the ministry God had for him. Elizabeth and Zechariah were part of that plan, although they never knew it. And so in the years where they struggled hoping for a child, it was because God had a plan just at the right time to fulfill. And they couldn't see that, but they remained faithful and obedient. Elizabeth and Zechariah were part of the plan and so God delayed their blessing so that that blessing could be maximized to bring forth the Messiah's herald. If you, like me, like walking up mountains, you'll know that sometimes when you're trying to get to the top of a certain peak, all you can actually see is the hill in front of you. You're walking up and you can see the hill. And then you get to the top of the hill and then suddenly the valley opens up and the big peak there that you're aiming at opens up. And sometimes that's like walking with God. You can only see what's straight in front of you. You can't see the big picture that God has in his heart and in his mind. And yet as we press on faithfully, eventually God's purposes will be revealed and come to plan, come into purpose. And that's what we see with Elizabeth. She must have struggled only being able to see the fact that she was barren. And yet somewhere in the midst of it or beyond the hill of her barrenness was the fulfillment of the mountain of God, the purposes of God being released, not just for her, but for Israel and for the Messiah and for you and I. Those long years of struggling and suffering and waiting, God had a perfect plan and a perfect time when he would fulfill it. And so it is. When we can't understand what's happening and why God isn't doing and responding as we want to. Like Elizabeth, we can rest in that place of knowing that God has it all in hand. And has a bigger and greater purpose to fulfill than we can ever see. So in the narrative, the story begins when Zechariah goes into the temple in fulfillment of his priestly duties, in accordance with 1 Chronicles 24, where the priestly families were divided up, and each priestly family would take a turn going to the temple and looking after the things in the temple. And they would, their role was to go into the holy place, 
Not into the Holy of Holies, not before the, the Ark. Their role was to go into the holy place where there were three items of furniture. Now is the test. What were the three items of furniture? And the lamp, that's it. The, the to- table of showbread with 12 pieces of bread on it, the altar of incense, and the lamp. The seven, the candelabra, the seven, seven menorah, the seven uh, ca- candlesticked candle of lamps. Lights. <laughs> Filled with oil. Burning. <laughs> bright. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> and we could talk at length on what the significance of each of those is. But the altar of incense is the one where he is specifically before when the angel appears to him. And of course the altar of incense represents intercession. It's that rising of incense that goes before the presence of God. And it also represents worship. And he's in that place of ensuring that the worship and the intercession of Israel is properly prepared and is going forth. And in that moment of intercession, when he's standing before the Lord and causing the the intercession, the prayers and the praise of God to rise, so the angel appears to him. And it's Gabriel. Now where else have we seen Gabriel? Mary, true, and Daniel. Thank you. He first appears in the book of Daniel. This is not a quiz this morning, but I'm trying to keep you awake, all right? (laughs) Um, In the book of Daniel, Gabriel appears to interpret some of the visions that Daniel sees. Again, he's coming forth in the presence of God. And he seems to appear when there are significant things for Israel to be revealed. Because in the book of Daniel, there are significant things that concern the nation of Israel. And of course, the, 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 the uh, appearing before Zechariah at this moment is because it's a significant time for the people of Israel. Because the one who was promised is coming to prepare the way for their Messiah. And so it's Gabriel who stands before God in the presence of God, who brings the message concerning the coming of John and the coming of Jesus. He is unveiling the kingdom. He's bringing the kingdom to bear in the nation. Because it's John the Baptist who first says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Not surprisingly, when confronted with an angel, Zechariah is terrified. But Gabriel reveals to him that his prayers have been answered that those intercessions that have arisen have been heard. And Elizabeth would bear a son, and not just any son, one who would be the com- who, whose coming had been prophesied centuries before. It wasn't just Jesus whose coming was prophesied. John was also prophesied. You only have to read in Malachi chapter 3 to see the detail of the message that John would bring. And this son, this son John, would be the vanguard of the Messiah. The one who would bring many of the people of Israel back to, to the Lord their God. And we don't really have an idea of the scale and effectiveness of the ministry of John the Baptist from Scripture. We only actually encounter him in the narrative towards the end of his ministry, just as Jesus is arising. But what we know from from Uh, hints in the text and so on. He'd been ministering probably for about 10 years and that he was recognized as a prophet by all in Israel. His, 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 His ministry was crucial. 
It was a preparation ministry. It was getting people ready. It was called it bringing them back to repentance and back to righteousness with their God and back to walking in the way of God so that when Jesus came, that word that would come out of Jesus' mouth would fall on readily prepared hearts. And people considered him to be a prophet because indeed he was one. His was a ministry of preparation. And so when Jesus came, the people were ready to receive him. This person who was going to be born to Elizabeth was crucial in the plans and purposes of God. And as Zechariah is standing there, listening to the angel, despite the fact that it's the angel Gabriel himself who's revealing this to Zechariah, he says, how can I believe this stuff? Seems quite incredible if you were to have an angel standing in front of you telling you stuff that's going to happen. You say, well, how can I believe you? <laughs> well, I'm an angel, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that's, that's the mystery of this story. I don't quite know how he didn't quite get it. But I've got no answer on that. If you've got an answer, maybe you can come back to that. Perhaps with the long wait for a child, his faith had waned. But on his return home from Jerusalem, after his service in the temple had been completed, sure enough, Elizabeth became pregnant. And in verse 25, her response is, The Lord has done this for me. In these days he's shown me favor and taken away my disgrace from among the people. She was in no doubt as to the source of her miraculous ability to conceive beyond the age of childbirth. And this is one of those miracles that we can almost miss in Scripture. What happened to Elizabeth was physically impossible, or certainly improbable. And yet God used the barren woman to bring forth his purposes, just as he had done with Sarah, with Rachel, with the unnamed mother of Samson, and with Hannah, the mother of Samuel. Are you feeling barren today? I don't mean, are you childless? And this applies to both men and women. I mean, in terms of bearing fruit for the kingdom. You've sown faithfully. You've walked righteously. And yet nothing has borne fruit. Perhaps this is generally true of your life, or perhaps just one area. It may concern your work life. Or the area of service God has given you. It may be in terms of seeing people saved. It may just be, being, be about being able to progress in your walk with the Lord. If there's any area of barrenness this morning, know this, the Lord wants to make you fruitful. God is a God of fruitfulness. God has caused you to be born again so that you might bear much fruit, we're told in John 15.8. And so if you're feeling fruit, uh, barren this morning, but you have a desire within you to be fruitful for the kingdom, I want to pray for you right now. And if you want to, to receive that, let's stand. Stand with me and I will pray for you.
Father, I thank you that you are a God who answers the prayer of the barren. You have proved that time and time again in scripture. You have demonstrated it through your word. And I pray, Lord God, for fruitfulness to break out amongst us in this place. I pray, Lord God, that those who have longed to see the fruit of their lives being abundant, Lord God, they might receive an abundance from you from this day forth. That, Lord God, where there has been hardness and dry ground, Lord God, there might be a, a, a pouring, Lord God, out of your, your, your watering by your Holy Spirit to bring forth life in Jesus' name. I proclaim life over these people in Jesus' name. I proclaim fruitfulness over these people in Jesus' name. And I proclaim... Um, a, a bringing forth of that which has been dry and, and dead into life. I speak life in Jesus' name this morning. And I thank you, Lord God, that you've heard my prayer. And I thank you, Lord God, and in expectation of testimonies of life and fruitfulness breaking out in this place. Thank you, Lord God, for your fruitfulness and your desire for fruitfulness in our lives. I pray your blessing over these people in Jesus' name right now. Amen. Amen. In verse 39 to 45, we see Mary arriving at Elizabeth's home. And it's amazing that the prenatal John is able to respond to the arrival of the prenatal Jesus. That's an incredible picture, isn't it? That this baby who's already in, who's in the womb but already filled with the Spirit is able to respond when the Messiah, as a baby still in the womb of Mary, comes in the door. It's just... Yeah, absolutely. That's the word. <laughs> and his leaping for joy triggers a Holy Spirit outpouring in Elizabeth in which she greets Mary, the mother of my Lord, and this is significant because she is the first person in the narrative to recognize Jesus. That's the privilege that Mary had, that Elizabeth had. She recognized the Messiah before anyone else. She recognized the coming of Jesus. And the word she uses, Lord, is important too. It's the word kyrios in the Greek, which in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, is the word used to translate Yahweh. So effectively, Elizabeth is recognizing the baby in Mary's womb, not just as the Messiah, but as Yahweh himself. That's the significance of what she says. We can compare that to Psalm 110.1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. And so Elizabeth also recognizes that Mary was the one to fulfill that prophetic word to Eve. Blessed is he who has believed, she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Such a privilege Elizabeth had to be the first one to greet the Messiah and greet him not just as a babe, but greet him as the Lord, creator, king, God of Israel who has come to earth. And then in the final episode recorded concerning Elizabeth, we have the birth of John itself. Notice how her neighbours and relatives shared in their joy at finally having a baby. It says all the neighbours and relatives were there sharing in their joy. 
And there's little more wonderful in this life than bringing forth offspring. Even if we do feel like strangling them at times later in life. (laughs) I've, I've been at the birth of all four of my children. And at all four I've been in tears. It's just such a wonderful moment of joy. And of emotional outbursting. And yesterday we celebrate, well it's actually today, but we went down to celebrate the birth of a grandchild. She wasn't born yesterday, she was seven yesterday. But again, it's just remembering the, the, the blessing and the, and the wonderful outpouring of fruitfulness that we've received in our lives. And there that joy is all, all, all um, increased in the life of Elizabeth who has got this longed for child finally in her arms. In having children, we share in the creative nature of God. And we fulfill the divine man-mate given to humanity to fill the earth and subdue it. And so there is a divine joy that accompanies such moments. Notice that Zechariah's speech in this narrative is not restored immediately. The angel said his speech would be restored when these things were fulfilled. But he's still dumb at this point. It's only... He only regained his speech through an act of faith, just as he'd lost it through an act of doubt. It was when he confirmed what Elizabeth had said, that the name of the child should be John. When he spoke it out, or when he wrote it down, that God restored his speech. And Elizabeth, of course, insists on the child having the prophetic name given by Gabriel himself, meaning the one who is beloved of God. And Zechariah expresses his affirmation in the word of God and his speech is restored. And Elizabeth is insistent and determined in this passage. No, no, everyone wants to say, no, he's got a, he's, the baby's got name's got to be Zechariah. And she actually says it's very strong in the, in, the, in, the, in the verse. She says, no, verse 16, no, no, his name should be called John. She goes completely against the culture of the day. But Elizabeth was more determined to obey God than obey culture, no matter what anyone might say. How determined are we to obey God rather than culture? Our culture lays down for us various values and norms, and when we challenge them or go against them, we're labelled as narrow-minded, obtuse, intolerant, or worse. And yet in its so-called tolerance, our society seems to be completely intolerant of anyone who expresses a different perspective. And there are many issues we could cite here, but I'm sure you know what we're talking about. And as we've journeyed through non-stop news concerning the election over the last few weeks, tolerance has been far from the table. And people are being hung out to dry for expressing contrary opinion, especially on Facebook. Christians have always been countercultural. Why? Because we serve the values of a higher kingdom. No political party or pressure group aligns with Christian values, no matter how much they appear or pretend to. That's why I believe we can't wholeheartedly support any party, but rather should stand up for the values of the kingdom.
In other areas of our lives as well, society tells us that we should focus all our energies on achieving exam results, pursuing a career, accumulating wealth. The kingdom says everything needs to come second in comparison with pursuing his kingdom and his righteousness. Not that those things are bad in themselves, but they have to take second place. Society tells us that life is meaningless and therefore destroying the unwanted child is acceptable. The kingdom tells us that life is a gift from God and should not be destroyed. We could go on. But the question is, where do we get our values from? Who's going to determine the direction of our lives? Is it going to be God and his kingdom? Or is it going to be the world? And that's the choice that each one of us must make on a daily basis. Elizabeth was countercultural. She stood for the promises and the purposes of God over against even what her relatives and her neighbours wanted to do. And she was vindicated. And so, in Elizabeth, we see a woman who was God-fearing and righteous. She was grateful to God for fulfilling his promises and determined to fulfil her responsibilities come what may. May God raise up many more such men and women who serve God faithfully and bear fruit for his kingdom. And I hope you've been encouraged by looking at this, the life of this woman. We don't know. We don't know. I would suspect probably not. But and probably that's the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the examples that you give us in scripture. The people who have gone before us. The people who opened the doors for us. to to have the faith that we have today. And Lord God, we recognize and thank you for one such, which was Elizabeth. Thank you that she was faithful. Thank you, Lord God, that she was diligent. Thank you, Lord God, that she fulfilled what her responsibility was and that you blessed her beyond, Lord God, her expectation. And I pray, Lord God, for us, that, Lord, as we seek you and seek to align our lives to your kingdom, so you will make us blessed to be a blessing in the place where you put us. And may you go before us, and may you indeed, Lord, make us fruitful just as she was. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.